Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another all-new Exodus for Podcast Live, your live premier comic podcast for modern Marvels, Chrono Skimming Classics, and more. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me at Nico Action on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, and more. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, everybody. It's Nathan. Apparently, I'm stuck in the Black Lodge. You can find me at Tesla AOA on uh, pretty much all of the socials. And I'm TK, still sitting at the Green Lagoon, but you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, Tumblr, wherever you want, at xnateatgray. And as always, you can check the show out at xsforpodcast.com and X's for Podcast on most social medias. And this is the second amazing week of this new format. We're doing it live. I'm so excited. We're having such a good time. And this week, we're doing it magic. Magic is the way to go. Jazz hands for magic. Jazz hands for magic. I'm all about the magic. Some of these books sometimes are more, you know, hell. But <laughs> this week, it's a little less hell for everybody and a little more spell. Pretty magical. Yeah. We have a, an amazing docket. We have Defenders Beyond. We have Strange. We have... Strange Academy, we have Midnight Suns, and we have Ghost Rider. It's an incredible array of magical characters, and I can't wait to get into it. So let's jump right in with Defenders Beyond number five. And for that, I'm going to entrust everything over to the person who's been leading it this whole time, Steve. Hello, it's me, Steve. And uh, you can find me on Mastodon, Tumblr, Hive, Twitter, etc. at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. Today we're here to talk about Defenders number five, Keter by... Al Ewing, Javier Rodriguez, and VC's Joe Caramagna. I'm Raven, a.k.a. Sanguine Threads. Come find me. Hey, everybody. I'm Jake. You can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's OH Mega Sentinel. And you can also find me on Instagram now at The Heart Farmer. And this is Juancho. You can find me on Twitter at Lost in Krakoa. All right. Well, welcome everybody back. It's good to see you all again. It's good to see all you listeners out there. You're all looking great. Beautiful. Just to start off with Defenders Beyond number five, we have two epigraphs to lead off this issue. Things for us to think about as we go through. The first is by Albert Einstein. The most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion that stands at the cradle of true art and true science. Whoever does not know it and can no longer wonder, no longer marvel, is as good as dead and his eyes are dimmed. Classic. The second is by Eugene Debs, the father of American socialism. While there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. And while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Followed by a short epigraph from our hero of the story, Loki. That's the way it goes. <laughs> I want to start off by asking everybody what they think about these epigraphs and how they relate to this issue in particular. There's no coincidence that Loki and Eugene Debs are on the same page here, but I want to hear all of your opinions about, about these just these little uh, short bits from Albert and Eugene. I think Albert's up his own ass. <laughs> it's like i'm trying to say the most profound thing i'm like dude seriously Ser well then i mean i just learned about how much of uh albert einstein's work is actually his wife's work oh but she never got credited in any way for it she did so much of the work for a lot of his theories and the equations and whatnot yeah she didn't get any fucking credit for it and i'm just like you know what we're having that day today aren't we <laughs> 
the coffee soaking in. You know, I I thought that both of the both both epigraphs, well, Debs and, and Einstein strike two of the major themes of this run. One is this idea of exploration and humanity sort of stretching out towards the numinous, the indescribable, the transcendent. And the other is this idea that, you know, the closer you get to that, the more you kind of see how iterative things are. The, you know, that principle of as above, so below that you see in lots of religious traditions, esoteric Kabbalism as well, which is a big part of this run. This idea that while there is a lower class, I am in it. It's very much like the seed of all creation, the seed of all transcendence lives in the lowest part of reality. I also really love Debs because my grandfather, my mother's stepfather was named after Eugene Debs. So I, I feel a personal connection to that quote. I think he was the, the first person to run for president on a socialist platform too. Yeah, I think he ran five times, I believe. For the I think he ran from prison at one point too. Yeah. So. I love how for Loki, the storyteller is just so short and so sweet. He's like, damn, or they're like, damn, damn. That's all I'm saying. Well, I do and love there's... Eugene Debs quote. That's because that, it's, it's one of those, I'm not going to forget the people who are at the bottom because they directly affect me, even if it is, you know, by many steps removed, there is a cause and effect. There is no, you know, perfectly free and un, untouched without having to deal with people who are in the lower social strata because they are the cogs that help make the machine run. They make it so that your life is more comfortable. They're picking your fruit. They are, you know, delivering your goods. They're doing all the small work that, you know, a, a much more rich person who doesn't have to do all those things, they, they wouldn't touch all that. So, you know, he's right. The lowest have the most that's bad that's going to happen to them. And as long as that's happening to them, you can't actually be as free as you think you are. Mm -hmm. While there is a single soul in hell, no one else is free. And mm -hmm. uh, that comes back again and again in this. And Jake and Raven, I, I do like how both of those tie into the character of One Above All and Loki uh, specifically. You know, Marvel were re reminded to be intrigued by the mystery, but we're also reminded that as we look up, we should also look outward and around us. First quote from Einstein. I would like to make it more relevant for this comic. I would substitute art for magic because this is a comic and previous Defenders run is basically about the melding of both magic and science in the Marvel universe. And I think that quote, like it encapsulates that, that like just as Doctor Strange always looks for the like origin of things in magic, Adam Brashear does it in science. And it's always, they're always looking to solve those mysteries, those fundamental yeah. mysteries in the Marvel universe. And we got that interaction with the one above all today in, in this comic. And something that we come back to time and again in Al Ewing's work, but especially in his Defenders work, is this idea that at the crux of science and magic is storytelling. Mm. You know, the mm -hmm. thing that ties it all together, the thing that ties everything together in this universe, because it's a universe of stories, like specifically the Marvel Universe. And that's something that time and again is hammered home in this final issue with having Loki be the, the hero that is at the underpinning of everything here. The vision of the one above all, which... I am going to have to reread all of Immortal Hulk now with Defenders in mind and keeping in mind that these are the same character. But the idea that, you know, the one of above all is a painter painting on the walls, you know, the tree of life, and that there's more painting that we have no understanding of that is beyond us and beyond 
beyond even the one above all, something that intrigues and mystifies the creator and something that maybe would intrigue and mystify, you know, Jack Kirby as, as he was doing the, a lot of the fundamental work to build this particular Marvel universe. That's kind of the point too, is that the one above all is Jack Kirby slash substitute any creator, any creative at Marvel who has done any work to like add to the Marvel universe. Like that, that, that is a, an avatar of every Marvel creator because, you know, when Brashear approaches it and says, I think there's more above you. That's essentially, he's pointing out to our reality. He's pointing out to the world that created his world and saying, you know, I see that there's something there that we can't touch. And I think that that is to me, some of the most powerful storytelling when a story can turn around and look back at you and say like, Hey, I see you there. I see what's happening here. I understand the nature of my reality, but what's the nature of yours? And I, I love a book that really challenges us like that. The idea that the comic book and the comic book creators themselves would look outward and marvel at something beyond even them. Mm-hmm. And that is the mystery that really intrigues them is the things that happen outside well, the comic page. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is that so many of the things that source back to those two quotes really is about the fact that creationism is often like a Matryoshka doll, where in comics, there's always something that came before. And no matter what rung we're looking at this from, there's always going to be a sort of a lowest class of highest class, for lack of a better term. You know, when you're talking about the Blue Marvel and you're talking about Loki, you're talking about gods among men. But then these forces that are so much greater than them, it's this echoing greaterness of, I think, even the sense that there is no limit to how much greater origin can always be. And the defenders beyond, just continuously going beyond, I think one of the things that those quotes sets up is that like echo of Mm -hmm. just the endlessness Mm -hmm. of this Mm -hmm. cycle, which I think rebounds from the end back to the first issue even. And I think you both, you know, the quote, the Einstein quote and the Debs quote and how those play with Jewish mysticism, which Ewing is citing very clearly, like right in the cover here. And also, you know, just in the names of these issues in some of the like art that we see, Kabbalistic texts really, when they get to their most esoteric, start saying like, we go into the infinite that we can't ever comprehend, but we could keep going through. And this book is trying to get us to that same idea of like, there's no place where you reach a stopping point that you've seen the person that is fully at the top and everybody else is below that person. And I think what's equally interesting about that is that Jewish mystics that came up with a lot of these ideas were a certain class of men who had certain privileges, who had access to education that nobody else had. And they essentially said, nobody else can understand the mystic secrets, but us. Mm -hmm. And it's a very classist, unfair trope. At the same time, we saw in the late 90s, uh, Jewish mysticism get really commodified and turned into something pretty cheap and tawdry in which- Like a ray of light. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for it. Um, and so, you know, there is a degree to which, exactly. And so, there's a degree to which I believe the mysteries of Jewish mysticism should be for everybody, but they should not be for everybody that's not willing to do the work. And I just think that interplay that we see basically on the page here is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to add something that Nikos uh, words reminded me of, and it's like we sort of. Saw 
saw the cosmological argument playing out on a page here, like who's the creator behind the creator behind the creator and so on, so on, and so on. When Adam says that, no, there's something beyond you to the one above all is that there's someone that's creating you mm -hmm. and who's creating them and who's creating them and so on and so forth. And I think that's very cool that we're seeing that out play out in, in a Marvel comic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's iterative. It's, you know, it's every level of reality reflects the one above or below it. It's then there's no, there's infinite iterations. It's kind of it's kind of multiversal in a sense, too, if you think about like the way Marvel was talking about their stacked realities back in the day. This all ties in really nicely with Al Ewing's like repeated emphasis on characters who are aching to escape their pre predestined roles within the status quo of Marvel Comics from Galactus to Taya in this issue to the Beyonder, as we see, the Beyonder, not a Beyonder, to especially Loki. And I think Loki is the crux <laughs> of that because we constantly see these characters who are trying to escape out of the status quo of how, what they're trapped in by the iterative nature of Marvel Comics. But Al Ewing's work is also a part of that, you know, from Secret Wars onward and has this like iterative nature. So we see Loki and we see Galactus and we see all these people escape briefly from their roles, but they eventually must be subsumed back in because as the one above all says really interestingly in this issue, Galactus is of his design. I, I know this is a justice service thing, but I love the idea of God looking at this woman whose father, the, whose husband we don't know and the father of her baby we don't know and saying, your baby is of my design. Don't worry. Uh, ha, 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 ha. I, I really wanted your really baby to be that. evil shit. I like that read a lot. That's a that's super interesting, especially when we see like the life bringer, you know, but like, uh, so there's that. And then Loki is constantly being trapped into this. Cloud has escaped to the point of becoming an archetype. And Loki has escaped in such a way that Loki becomes the shape that the universe was trying to bend Loki back into. But that doesn't mean that Loki isn't still the same person inside and cannot yet come back out of round again, as we see at the very end. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things in this whole comic is that Loki chooses to go back into the hell of being a person that they don't want to be anymore, specifically like an only he, him character and a character that sometimes falls back into villainy and making mistakes, but with the same knowledge of like the O5 X-Men going back after all new X-Men. Mm. I think that's such a clever trick. And I love that Al Ewing is picking up on that here in order to make an iteration that it's, it's like an eternal recurrence, except for each recurrence is a little bit different and each recurrence well, you can have some freedom within those bounds. And I think he wrote himself a narrative backdoor. Should anybody mm -hmm. wish to, you know, Loki is at yeah. times going to be reset to a status quo based on the powers that be not necessarily being as comfortable with a they them Loki. But if you leave a backdoor in the narrative, when a writer comes in who has the like the clout to say, I want to write Loki like that, mm -hmm. it's not going to be something that comes out of nowhere and that, you know, leaves fans the ability to say like, I don't get why this is happening. This just came out of nowhere. I don't like it. It's going to have precedent and it will kind of flow seamlessly into the narrative should yeah. somebody be willing and able to take it there. And now it's an important part of the cosmology of the transition from the 7th to 8th universe, which is seemingly <laughs> Al Ewing's favorite plaything. I think that maybe Loki's most heroic stroke, this uh, and this exchange between Loki and Bashir about, you know, what would it mean to not escape, to not take liberation, to remain and help others attain liberation. I love the idea that Loki took a bodhisattva vow, which I think also really ties back to that Deb's quote. So long as one, you know, so long as anyone is in hell, I'm there with them. It's very, it's very and Steely Dan. Yeah. Sorry? It's just... And Steely Dan. So <laughs> you know. principle of like liberation for all in general, right? Like this is such an important thing is that we can't just have liberation for ourselves and say, fuck the rest of the world. We have to work for freedom for all of us. Well, and it's, it's recognizing the, the core of divinity that exists in all creation, you know, in all aspects of creation. And, you know, Loki is essentially saying, I will, I will choose 
use heroism and I will come back and I will not just escape from my own from my own design. I will go and help others. And I think that that choice and that sacrifice is probably I mean, I think it's probably the one of the biggest that Loki has ever made on the page by my by my rendering and understanding. I just I find it yeah. funny, but it funny in a good way that even Loki for, forgot the instrument of their own salvation until they got to the eighth universe. And then they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, the mask. I was, I was like, oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> Which means Loki was at an even footing with the one above all. So they had wow. the actual power to write their own narrative. And they decided to write themselves back in. <laughs> TK, it's a little like Barbalith. Don't you remember? Yeah, I think that is another influence that Ewing is pulling from. You know, he this is a very more heavy book. There is a lot of Promethea in this. But I do think, especially in this last issue, he's pulling from a lot of the concepts that Morrison was pulling from with the Invisibles. It's very interesting how a lot of the these comic character meets its creator moment is one that you get from Morrison and Morin Ewing, who are three people who are clearly very steeped in esotericism, very well, well read in, at the very least. There's something really funny about the fact that it's these three people who very much steeped in Western esotericism who are saying like, it's a compelling thing when a character meets its creator and is angry at them and has to have conflict with them and like really like call them to account for all of the torture that they're being put through. Yeah, dad. Because, I mean, Adam Brashear is such a fucking badass in this issue. He fucks so out. good. Not only, so not, only good. not only saying, hey, I actually don't think you're like the one <laughs> but like more importantly, when he says, I don't believe in any God who tests his creations, Loki, we've been, te- I've been tested enough. All of humanity has. That is, uh, I just want to give him a kiss. That is amazing. <laughs> and it's so amazing because Adam is so free of tropism. Mm-hmm. Like the Blue Marvel is such a uniquely celebrated, but unrecognized idea in the Marvel stratosphere where so many people come to him with such a blank slate. So many people come to Tigra with, I would say, somewhat steeped in canon misconceptions, but yeah. also sort of like an unwillingness to learn. There isn't enough of Adam to learn yet. What there is is spectacular, but he's a character that yeah. deserves a thousand issues and has 85. And yeah. using this as an opportunity to say, this is how this man would interact with the entirety of the universe in front of him. The measure of this man is his ability to breathe it all in. It was just such a masterstroke in letting us know who Adam was by showing us what he can handle. And I just thought that was marvelous. And, yeah. and the nice thing about Ewing writing Adam is like with as few appearances as Adam has had, at, Ewing's probably racked up the most, <laughs> most appearances. <laughs> most of them. And like, and that's something I love about Ewing. Like he is, if, if nothing, he is a creature of habit. He loves certain characters and he's going to bring them into like almost everything. Like you can tell he loves Adam. You can tell he loves Monica. She, she brings her into a lot of stuff. You can tell, uh, you can tell he loved Harpy because he brought her back for Defenders after Immortal. He loves building these little pieces of lore within his stories that he continues in other stories that gives his stories a sort of, like, a, a universe feel to it. There's, like, almost like a Al Ewing universe of stories out there. And I'm just glad we get to live in a universe where we get to read them. Yeah. Well, and I guess much. my big question is, is he about to get the Aaron treatment where all of this cosmological work he's doing on Marvel's narrative back end, he gets a crossover event that is... He needs the- to. 
cross over. What's that? He needs to, I hope. I, it seems I like they're building to, to that. Yeah, it seems like they're building to something. There's a big cliffhanger at the end of this book. Yeah. Yes. I mean, or honestly, maybe they're not. Maybe it is a quiet, private, like the ones who follow it get it, and everybody else just doesn't have that same experience. That yeah. Oh. tells me there is something big on the horizon. Yeah. yeah. This, this book is hella unfinished in the sense oh, that, yeah. like, yeah. there seems to be a third act that is oh, just it, like it's going to be secret event, secret and, defenders. Like, we're talking about the crown like like i I feel so bad we've talked about a lot about ewing's contributions to this book but we haven't talked about javier do you guys contributions to this book because like i mean he is credited as a co-storyteller like Mm -hmm. his art really does take ewing's beautiful prose elevate it to that next level like everything from you know his unstandard page layout to flipping back from unstandard to standard i i I love that and how it tells different parts of stories even to like the coloring and the, and the lettering in this this wouldn't be as grand of a book without this yeah i don't think it would be this book at all i mean on an obvious level it wouldn't be this book at all without the same artist but like right. this story would not be the same i mean like when i saw the kirby monsters pouring out of the one mm-hmm. above like yeah. beautifully detailed i have like not since not since jack kirby have i seen any of these monsters come to life with such dynamism and such like force and ferocity it's amazing to see and like the visual tricks of pulling out the tree of life to be three to four times longer with the different colors uh, it just hints at so much that i can only guess at there's so much story being told in the art on these pages and it's so important like that crown and the mcdonald's world (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love that it's the consumerism it's the aristocracy versus like the lowest class it's uh the environment versus you know basically major industry of consumption like fossil fuels then you have uh the worship of you know basically a, a death cult yeah it, it looks were. Like, it looks like the worm from the three mothers <laughs> yes i was thinking exactly that and then you have that that beautiful you know space and what's beyond it i'm like i love the symbolism so much the art is so delicious because nice. not only does it harken back to like the 1960s 1970s style of art it then has no problem moving forward and using a bunch of different art styles to get the story across and then sliding right back into where it was and i'm like it's done so well like it it keeps me on edge in a great way watch i would love to hear your thoughts on this issue's art i mean what can i say about the art other than it's like incredible it's probably the best art we've seen a comic uh, in 2022 by far. Mm, I would have to agree. I think Javier Rodriguez is maybe my favorite artist working for Marvel Comics right now. Uh, and Tread Moore is coming out with Doctor Strange: False Sunrise, so that'll be interesting. Uh, finally, oh, some competition. So good. But I was Tread Moore is like everything. Yeah. That like this comic goes along with uh, Jack Kirby and what Raven just said is that this style harkens back to the 60s like the Kirby style and I'm not sure the story would work the same way and it would hit the same way if it didn't have that like Kirby-esque yeah. sort of thing it's it's interesting how Jack Kirby's specific visual tics have to be like a fundamental symbolic code for <laughs> Marvel magic well, like he when you created see a whole Kirby symbolic dots. vocabulary he did like, when you like Kirby dots you know energy. what that means mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a magical symbolic mystery language of comics in the same way that like you know the tarot is for esotericism uh and i love that it's made use of in these it, like throughout defenders and defenders beyond the 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 color symbolism the shapes the specific visual ticks have been just as important as the tarot or kabbalah or any various other things i may have missed <laughs> 
Well, I also love that there, like, there's an understanding of the evolution of things. When you have, you know, only that much knowledge of something, that's the the world that you operate within. But as you get more knowledge, you expand. So I love, like, if you go back to when they meet the one above all, usually you'd only see like blue, yellow, and red as like your oh, these are the colors I work with. I love the fact that they added in the cerulean, the green, because I'm like yes, because as as we expanded our knowledge of art and how we could print and change color and expand depth and whatnot, they added different colors or they tweaked the colors yeah. we had because their standard blue, yellow, and red weren't cutting it as far as making a fully realized, in-depth, realistic, or even uh, fantastical comic. So I love it. For myself, I think that we have only to look in the direction of Al Ewing's favorite word, next. We have to look at what comes next and we have to say, like, what do we think the Dominion is? What do we think this enigma is? What are, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think where you see four, you have to look for the fifth business. I keep thinking of Tigra drawing that crown card. I got to say, love it. Love that team together. I love what we're hopefully getting set up for in the future. Al Ewing is one of the writers who I can trust to keep a plot thread and not like forget about it for like three years and then oh hey this is a plot thread I had over here you remember it no nobody remembers it but no everybody remembers anything Al Ewing wants you to remember you're gonna remember because he is gonna keep bringing it up yeah I mean it's just a really fantastic book I encourage readers to really pull the threads of the influences that Ewing has woven into this read up on Jewish mysticism read up on the tarot read up on writers like Alan Moore and Promethea Grant Morrison and the Invisibles there's so many great influences in this book and they lead to really just this incredible knowledge and philosophy and I love the way that Ewing has referenced it I do kind of like you know I stand by that point of like there was a point at which ideas like these got really commodified in a terrible way but this kind of pop art that is accessible to everybody and can be the first step towards a real engagement with this stuff at a deep level is so important and it should be for everyone so you know if any of this resonated with you get even more into it because there's so much more to read and learn oh I I think for me, there's so much that has been left unsaid so far that there needs to be some sort of tie-in or wrap with it because it's like this close is a little too soft. This is not like not that not that Ewing ever ties everything up in a tiny little nice package. <laughs> Far from it. But like I'm like, this this is too soft. There's something more. There's definitely something more. And I can't wait to see it because it not only speaks to, you know, our real life and kind of how things evolve and become and whatnot but it also speaks to like comic books as a whole and kind of where they're going and i i, I want to see it i want to see this all tied together and so the crown would probably be spirit right if the other four <laughs> elements represent the four traditional classic elements so whatever that means spirit also i really hope that in the next defenders run we get a cloud and Iceman reunion because i'd really like to see how they feel about each other in the now would love they to see were both, they were both defenders back in the day also angel bring angel back i mean bobby did have that weird crush on like only girl version of cloud but like maybe yeah i think bobby was trying to work something out there yeah <laughs> Jake, if there are only four key colors what is the fifth uh invisible uh, invisible Ooh. all right Nico. ultraviolet 
I can't wait uh, to see how much further this is going to go. You know, one of the things I saw in the last page was that we saw uh, Ewing literally say this was 200 pages and we're very proud of it. And it felt very like the end, but it feels like this can only be the end of a first chapter. And it would be interesting to see a new wave of mystic influence, re-influence Marvel. It would just be really nice to see this set a tone for a cleaner path for magic in the future. You know how writers like uh, Morrison and Hickman have this like grand unified theme? of their own story (laughs) and uh this makes me want to go back to read basically everything else done for marvel because you can see tiny little things Mm -hmm. in all of his comics that tie up here like for example the speech when raven said to go look back to the uh one above all he the one above all says that his only weapon is love whereas the one below all is hate like in mortal hulk i think 25 maybe i should go back and check so basically that's what i want to see because once you go back and look all these building blocks we can maybe see a path forward but as nico said this kind of feels final with javier rodriguez like i don't think this story is going to go forward like with the same creative team if at all but yeah yeah, this comic was it was great it's made me look into so many things that i've probably never been interested before i read ultimates and defenders and all this and i'm so excited that i am happy i got to talk about this comic with you guys we are so happy to have had you this has been a wonderful team from start to finish it has been a long long journey with us all i can't wait to pick this all up whenever if if it's not with javier rodriguez whatever the next al ewing book is maybe not in wasp but we'll see (laughs) thank you all for having come on this amazing mystical magical journey towards liberation with me and with all of us uh it has been a blast and i'm so sad to see this comic end It's Nathan! Hey, everybody! All right, so we have gathered together to celebrate Strange 6 through 8, right? So, like... <laughs> oh, all right. So, in Strange Number 6, right, we get a really good look into Wong. A really good... Oh, my God, Wongers! Wongers! He teams up with Black Widow. He go visit Jean Grey in the treehouse. And we find out a little bit more about Wands. Okay, Pandora Peters. What a deep cut. What a deep fucking cut. Okay? The Thunderbolts annual that she is from, that is her only other appearance in the Marvel Universe. Wow. It's a deep fucking cut. I was like, I, she's familiar. Why do I know her? Why do I know her? Why do I know this? Why do I know her? Google, Google. TK, this woman has been in one comic book. I do this this every single time we talk about a Jed McKay comic because he just like pulls out characters from like a Venom comic in 1995 and is like, here's this person's one appearance. They will be really important to my run going forward. Right, and then it's like a background character that like was there for like two panels. You guys all remember Zodiac from Dark Reign Zodiac, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, I guess the big question is like in comparison to, you know, Ewing who's pulling all these references from like important cosmological Marvel material. How do we feel about like Jed McKay pulling one random person that is now super fundamental to how magic functions in the Marvel I love universe? This. I love yeah. these yeah. right. go back and read comics they've never read before, at least for me and for a lot of people, because these are they're often pulls from like comics that like maybe you read if you were picking them up at the time, but right. like do yeah. not they've disappeared with time, you know. Which was which is funny. <laughs> well, and that's what I kind of loved it's about funny. like the number of like characters where Jed. McKay is like, I have two pages left. Uh, 
um, obscure reference. Give me a minute. And like, just kind of goes into his vault and comes back and he's like, Thunderstrike. I'll be back. Right. Zodiac. Right, I'll be back. Not an obscure reference, but maybe that's well, because I'm I'm so, he was in a video. Oh, hold on. We did an enormous amount of Thunderstrike research for the MC2 project. We've talked about Thunderstrike for over nine hours on this show. And he has had like less than 10 appearances in the last 15 years. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> so, maybe I'm just old now. <laughs> right? So like, he really has like faded into some amount of obscurity at this point. Thor, kind of. And he's Ke Kevin. We love Kevin. <laughs> it's pretty exciting to see Kevin now has grown up to the point where Kevin! he has his own apartment and makes mac and cheese. <laughs> Last time we saw him, he was a shitty high schooler. Uh, no, there in between that there was Asgardians of the Galaxy, where who knows? Asgardians how old of the Galaxy, he was. so good. Great book, great but book. like Kevin, like in kind of a liminal state in terms of like his development. Um, but you know, just so great to see him as a teen. So like, I do appreciate the references. I guess it's just like I'm so used. To X-Men references where I ha have definitely read every single obscure thing. Uh, I'm like, oh, John Traveler. I like every single appearance. I've read them. So great to see him again. But these references, I did have like, Nico had to tell me and I had to go pull up that Thunderbolt. It was not special to me in any way. So I'm like not excited about Pandora Peters as a pull. But these issues, now I'm kind of into the character that Jed McKay has written. So, you know, I appreciate it at a level for sure. Yeah, I really liked this issue. Uh, number six the, the big spell i i like the references to the big sleep i like the neo-noir setting i like the change of having wong be the person and also i really like the guest artist i love having lee garbett on the series oh uh, yeah amazing the art. covers have all been exquisite i loved this issue just for that even if black widow was uh completely unhelpful aside from lecturing <laughs> about no, state no, actors no, and how important they are to your non-governmental organizations <laughs> wow no black widow was helpful she had the information that wong needed at least it gave him like direction she was like i know it's not from this organization i know it's not from that organization yeah. you're probably going to be one of... she was helpful she had she, she said what down. she does she's she something that never appears in comics she was a white redhead yeah <laughs> she, she narrowed it down she said these are all the things it's not about three things that it's not so it could be any other thing in this universe <laughs> Well, no, she. Speaking I mean, of white redhead, she at least this issue. like. I mean, they're dealing with the occult, and she's not necessarily a heavy occult person per se. Yeah, but like all. she's like, I know you're not. You're not looking for this organization. This all these ones that you know of that are easy to find. It's not that. It's something that is like even deeper. So you you gotta go to an even more knowledgeable. You know, it's Elena Bologna. Yeah. It's like it's 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 even it's deeper than my pay grade. But I also love Which that she shows impressive. up to introduce a degree of like government bureaucracy to magic oh yeah like, well, I mean, that's an important it, part it of all this like guess well, that's, what that's, like that's the part that i found hilarious is that she yeah. just rambles on it for a while she's like well you know doesn't have a government behind it so like obviously they're gonna have to watch out otherwise there's war i'm like i don't know what happens when two governments fight and then there's war but you know ridiculous <laughs> it's fine it does make a, bureauc a bureaucracy to this like underground magic world which obviously is super important as we see in the next two issues i like i like that that builds it up and i really like the direction the series is finally turning into like i, I, I like the, i like the wand thing can we say it I now honest, yes. yeah i honestly wand. loved i loved wong i loved this the story actually centering around wong because it actually feels way more plausible i'm not having to suspend as much disbelief that wong would be driven to really look into who took stephen strain a person who was so central in his life a person who treated him like a friend and not like just a man 
servant, which yes. is something so many story writers seem to get wrong. I'm looking at y'all. You know who you are. Quit writing him as the manservant from 1970s, please. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It really rocks seeing Stephen Strange, like from the Steve Ditko era in this, be like, you are my equal and my peer. You are my friend. You are not yeah. somebody who works for me. That was That's actually pretty powerful. Just retconning. I mean, obviously there was some degree of equality at the time, but like Steve Ditko, I don't know that he ever wrote that panel specifically, but it is a reminder that that is who they are and that is who they've always been, whether or not comics got written in the meantime that subordinated him to Stephen Strange. You know, that's a and nice it's so funny idea. that the MCU has given us a Wong that I think we maybe a little bit more are rooting for than Stephen Strange. For sure. And who's a little bit more <laughs> yeah. broadly of a leading man. And know, hot. The, oh yes, goodness. 100%. The hottest. Hot. may not hot. be Super commanding hot. the same, like, level of pay that... Which is Benedict absolute shame. I yeah, think it's going to start changing really quickly because, I mean, like, just how we responded to him in She-Hulk, I think oh is gosh. kind of a big game changer. But it's funny that, like, looking at this issue and, like, this comic overall where we're still, like, we can't have Wong the book. Like, Wong is in Stephen Strange's book, and yet we now have seen him in on screen have these adventures with She-Hulk that were like, give us a Wong show where he's just being this dude. And yes. I'm ready now for that book, too. But this issue was, like, a really nice let's dip our toes in the water. And yes, in fact, it turns out readers not only, like, will read a Wong issue to get to the rest of the story, but they'll respond. We, we all are responding to it really it's well. Better than like, the four, it's better than the four issues surrounding it. Is all yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I gotta say, I, I in, in the age of the MC unification of the comic universe, especially like when we get into Midnight Suns, there's some things that uh like feel weird to me when we get into that later. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's refreshing to see a comic book take a stand and be like, no, this Wong is different in the comics than he mm -hmm. is in the movie. So to see it reiterated, like, even though, like, I kind of like movie Wong better, like, like it, it was nice to see somebody say, no, I'm not going to make everything just like movies that you know there there are differences please read the books that's what like that's what it seemed like Jim McKay was doing and um, I was just kind of disappointed that I came back in just in time for it to not be about Clea like I'm on one <laughs> and then I'm on, not on two through five and then I show up for six through eight and I'm like I'm gonna read the Clea <laughs> Oh, hi, Steven. That's, but it's that's funny, funny because this book both makes the case for why Clea is so awesome and deserves everything in this world, yeah. except mm -hmm. for a book called Strange. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't agree. work. Yeah. Um, I think she really deserves, you know, whatever the book is called, you know, a, a Dark Dimension book, a Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension, written by a woman, and mm -hmm. with this level yeah. of energy for like I am warlord born I do not fuck around I'm not yeah. nice in the same way that a lot of these people are but I do good shit that is a great book it's just every single time you open up an issue that says strange and this is what you see it's off yeah. and we are starting to get on track but by getting yeah. on track it now feels off in the way of like but this is Clea's book and now we're like bringing the dude back for it to be his book <laughs> I mean well we always had this we always had to find a way to 
segue back to Stephen's raid. Yeah, I think this book has actually become about how Clea is uniquely unsuited to be the Sorcerer Supreme. I think that's maybe the intention here, and I really yeah. like that. It's something that's helping me enjoy the book a lot more, is that I love Clea in this. Everybody loves Clea in this, but she's like a really bad choice for Sorcerer Supreme. She does things like completely impulsively with no regard yeah. for the price of magic, even though she knows that there is going to be one. She is desperate to get her husband back at all costs. She's kind of stolen the title of Sorcerer Supreme in a way that is not actually like the way it's supposed to be passed and other people are like having yeah. problems with this i like it's a little mayoral yeah. i like it's the a little idea like my husband dies so now i'm the mayor yeah. like, but, like, she, but she's so, not witty that's the problem like when we were introduced to Clea, yeah exactly when we were introduced to clea in you know in all of the backstory all of the previous issues like i'm talking like deep history to modern age when we were introduced to clea she was always so quick-witted sharp she uh she seduced steven steven strange with how just amazing she was you know across the board but especially in her wit and how she could you know just oh she just walked circles around him it was great we don't get that in this book and that's why i mean wong i love him he has a character in and of himself but literally in one one issue he made it the wong show and it was fantastic and it felt yeah. on beat because this is wong so perfectly done we're not getting the clea that has been presented to us over and over again she's not witty she's impulsive she seems like a, a like a teenage girl slash early 20 something he's like oh my god i can't believe that bitch stole my boyfriend i'm getting him back I'm like, and now she gets oh, to oh, grandpa oh, here's, here's the thing right? here's the thing about this that's so unhinged to me right before death of dr strange when was the last time clea and steven strange even saw each other well right? it's been it's been quite a while actually i do remember but the thing is like after the kate's run where or well after jason aaron and kate's run where she showed up sporadically to be like i'm mad at you because like you made me forget me etc there's stuff like there's a whole forgetting spell that happens and there's mark wade's run and i think that's where that picks up again and then he's dating other people throughout the galaxy and the cosmos and kind of like you know they're not they're they're ex buried by the time the death of dr strange yeah. happens they are yeah. they're exes who have not seen each other in in the marvel universe probably a few months but in our universe maybe a few years you know yeah it had it she has not that works he has not been a major character in dr strange comics since 2015 Absolutely. yeah i mean like even 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 the blasphemy cartel was like what like yeah. we had files on magic we had files on voodoo we had files on wiccan we had files on everybody but we did not have files on clea because why would clea become sorcerer and i think that the main thing i took from the end of this is like i would love a strange family book yeah. you can give me strange academy and strange family and it's about steven and clea and about their functionally adult friend wong who yeah. takes care of them in <laughs> all ways but <laughs> like, he does not function he's the only him. adult <laughs> and you know that's i would read that but like i feel sometimes like maybe clea kind of got the short end of the stick maybe wong kind of got the short end of the stick and steven's death ultimately kind of feels like it you, sometimes you hear about like writers be like oh i came to marvel with this idea and they were like oh that's so good we're gonna turn it into a miniseries and we're gonna make it an event and it's gonna be a crossover and we're gonna do the thing and like Wait, terrific. Trial Magneto? What? exactly like you hear about how the editors went you know bonkers batshit over your idea and so like i'm super happy for it but like i feel like death of doctor strange should have been an arc of this book not a ma like a major massive event mm -hmm. and his death feels like a footnote that was a fake out to make us think clea was going to be important for a second yeah i mean like 30 
years ago, Death of Doctor Strange would have been the preceding arc to Clea's Strange. And then right, eventually right. it would have become Doctor Strange again, but it all would have been the same title, Doctor Strange. It is right. interesting that they chop it up into different series, although they are sort of self-contained in their own way. So I get like the marketing push for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you were reading like, I don't know, one of those long runs on a comic book, I can't think of anybody who's written a comic book for like 17 or 10 years or whatever. But if you're reading something like that, you know, it would just it would just segue from one arc to the next and you know Aaron's, it'd be part of a longer run aaron's avengers in, <laughs> I in was aaron's say avengers, Claremont, but yeah. it would be yeah um and aaron's, or, or aaron's, yeah, aaron's avengers, avengers be, that's that's perfect yeah. because it's just yeah. short arcs that are basically their own mini series and yeah, that yeah. Don't and really even if there were a couple of tie-ins <laughs> to to the issues in aaron's <laughs> avengers it would still you would still have it i think you know last segment i said like is this are we leading up to ewing's big summer crossover where he gets to put all of these ideas into play and do something big. I had the exact same question about Jed McKay because the problems with death are everywhere now in books that yeah. Jed McKay is not touching at all. The X-Men present a huge problem with the idea of death. Thanos always exists to be horny for death. Like death is a thing that we have to, yeah. and even some of Ewing's concepts would play into this as well. But, but, but yeah, I think Al, Ewing and Aaron, Al Ewing and Aaron did that in like a two, three issue arc in, um, Valkyrie. Yeah. yeah. I, th yeah. I think but it's I've... just something that's happening across the board, you know, and it's it's not like necessarily Jed McKay's thing, but like I do think it's been uh, across the board, death is a, a question ever since Jonathan Hickman was like, what if it wasn't a problem? Right. <laughs> and so... so eventually we may need to have a like coming to terms very broadly with that. And Don't you think I that's feel... what X was? No, because we still are not at like literally because X Men can still resurrect, mutants can still resurrect. Like we yeah. still we haven't even like gotten to the resolution of Strange everybody's just talking about the problem now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The X Men have to stop resurrecting, if only because the Eternals were always resurrecting. Like they have stopped I don't now, and that's so either. But I think death conceptually is going to remain having a problem with it. Yes. That is potential crossover fodder. And again, I just point to like if death shows up and it's like, hey. Thanos, I'm sick of everybody not dying and you're super horny for me. Do something about it. That is a crossover event. That's a summer crossover event right there. Yep, oh, no. would <laughs> never cheat on Deadpool like that. Oh, no. Did we finally see Deadpool? I mean, Death and Thanos just fuck and that's the event for the summer. Oh, <laughs> Deadpool. <gasps> I want a divorce. This, this book, like 6, 7, and 8, definitely picks up the pace. I, I wasn't as much of a fan of the first arc. 6, I thought, was a fantastic issue because it focused on Wong. I, I thought getting the reveal of Strange's Harvest Man. While predictable, I, I thought it had some good way, good 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 tones in it. Jed's writing of Clea, sort of, if I didn't know that he was such a good writer of women from um, from Black Cat already, like, it would have me kind of worried because she's falling into some some really bad, tropey kind of behavior. Some, some very, like, oh, my husband's dead, so I'm going crazy. I'm gonna go dark Clea kind of trope. But, like, you know, as long as Black Cat's still around, I know Jed McKay is not a writer who just writes women like that in general. It just it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, dude, be careful. Um, I, yeah, it's just it's just Clea. I think he's looking at Clea as like a, a Dormammu creature, you know, a faulty yeah. and is like she's fiery. It's not really a Clea we've ever seen before, and I think it's a bold new direction. But yeah, it it does risk sometimes seeming a little close to the idea of like a woman who's just like crazy for her love and will do anything to get her. But I also I think that's romantic. Like the seventh issue is I think a really romantic issue. But what keeps me from loving 
number seven so much is that I think it's so undercut by how the art just like doesn't look good to me. Like I think the colors are yeah. really dull and drab and of of the grave. And you know, that makes sense for Steven, but like for a really romantic issue, it doesn't really the art to me is at cross purposes with the really beautiful way she sells like how deeply she needs Steven back and how she'll do anything yeah. for him. She doesn't need anything, but she needs you and she will do anything to get you back. She's so possessive and it's it's like it's honestly beautiful and it's scary and it's a little sexy and I don't know just the art just does not sell to me that that's the emotion that is primarily coming across on the page all I feel is the chill of death of Stephen over it all which may be intentional but it doesn't work again it's the unhinged teenage girl who will do anything because she's so in love that is like it's painful to me to watch yeah because it's it does not it doesn't translate well for a female character but it also just doesn't translate well for Clea and then they talked about oh well we can't even touch and I'm like oh why, that didn't, was... why didn't you add some of her yeah. aura into it? Like, like, give me some some tension between their two energies, like yeah, right. something. But there was there was nothing. Give us like, magnetic. Show repulsion. me. Yeah. You know what? Show me Wong. Show me Clea possessing Wong so they can kiss and touch well, and, and, she, make and she's the sorcerer supreme. Like she would know that death and life are polar opposites. Like how did you? Why can't I touch you, bitch? You know you're the fucking sorcerer supreme of two uh, dimensions. Animated toaster in a blender and make him fuck who cares it was funny when he was like we're positive and negative we can't touch i was like oh, well if it's magnets those attract but you know i think positive and how negative do magnets i don't know don't forget do you say how do magnets fuck raven i love that <laughs> I mean, it's this close to being a juggalo song. It's sort of shit. It's, it's yeah. That's that's my thoughts. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I would have well, loved to have seen that. Well, until we get to see that, I think I think we said insane clown posse fucking a blender. Until we get to that, I think it's I think it's Nathan. You got a final thought, or we got commercials? Um, I would just say, uh, I think this is a book that could be good. I think the art lowers it, whereas like what we were talking about before with Defenders Beyond, the art elevates the story. I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to fall in place. It, it's not my worst ending of money, but it's not something that I'm like, oh my God, I've got to read this right away when it comes out. Well, wait, wait for the trade. Wait for the trade. All right, we're back. And this is more strange. It's madness and magic. And we've added somebody. Hello. Jonah. It's Jonah! Jonah! Uh, I have been transportaled uh, through the realms. Oh. I am back on Araco, coming from you live. Uh, the atmosphere is decent. You know, now that we are spot. diving back into the halls of Strange Academy, we're picking up after a very uh, dark end to our first semester. I want to start with a really important question. How do we all feel about Wanda's button-down crop top with a sash tied around baggy pants look as a school teacher? It works. It works. It actually works. It does. That inspired me to grab this cup because I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, she's amazing. And yes, like, what is what is she doing? I don't know, but I love all of it. She's like the casual cool teacher who's got a past that everyone kind of knows about. <laughs> and that's why we respect her, but we also totally gossip about her. But like, we love her look. Well, and one of the things about this that really has me is like, okay, we're, we're going with like that Scotty Young is a little bit older. 
older. And so he's writing from a place of a little bit olderness, which isn't bad. You could be a little bit older and, you know, still understand kids. We've seen it a lot on this book and we've, uh, and this, on this, you know, show, and we've talked about it a number of times where the nature of, you know, your age doesn't decide how in touch you are with kids or anything like that. But he is writing from an idea of like, what if the people from 90210 grew up and just started teaching at the school and it was <laughs> no big deal. And so no 90210, too. everybody's a little bit like, dun, 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 dun. bad choice. I'd like to know who certified them as teachers. Like, is this something that Dr. Strange did? Before? Like, what is their what is their pedagogical method? Like, who are their who are their teaching inspirations? Like, show me a rubric, a rubric for one of these classes. It seems like when like somebody had the bright idea, let's have Wolverine and a twenty year old become the headmasters of the academy of the new like X Men Academy. Like, okay, cool. Like, and why is Kate Pride as a twenty year old the most like experienced person <laughs> well because in one alternate reality she was headmistress of education or something so <laughs> so you're telling me wanda is donna martin uh, <laughs> she's also wanda i feel is like that theater teacher when everybody had to take a theater class yeah who like uh, walks in 10 minutes late and she walks in and she's like so why aren't you practicing your spells mutate wanda maximoff mutates wanda maximoff mutates oh my gosh she's and a mutant i do love a, i do love someone who insists on using a sash as a belt they're like right. hmm, what a creative use for this garment what a, what a period. Right. Mm, and that she still wears her facial buttressing crown <laughs> on casual how would they know it's Wanda without it's the, her weapon? that's true you she's she's otherwise she is some lady with brown hair pink shirt <laughs> and red pants guys not Jean is here and everything bad keeps happening <laughs> behind her <laughs> It's Guys, her, it's her crown of stuck. office. It's her Polaris crown, but it's red. Can you imagine being Polaris and, and Wanda and growing up and being like, we have so much in common. Look at our headpieces. I wonder if we have the same parents. Wouldn't that be crazy? And Turns Wanda's out. like, what do I want? Just like, just kind of slides into frame, slides right back out. Oh, I cannot not see this now. Like, <laughs> new teacher hooked up with a robot and her brother. And a man like, in an iron mask. Well, I mean, if, if, comes in in the head Witch, uh, if the Scarlet Witch, who is a Nexus being, is like all Scarlet Witches, then yeah, she's also Ultimate Scarlet Witch, who definitely hooked up with her brother and a robot. What? But I thought in the Star I, I, Wars. What in the Claremont? This is this is, is, this, is, this, is Marvel, this is Marvel Nexus. Uh, hey, you know why? Why is why is Wanda there, but not Amanda Sefton? Come on, like have to, weird. Because Amanda has some freaking taste and is like, oh hell no, I'm not walking into that shit. I'm not going show. to that. We don't, we don't I mean, know where Amanda is, Sefton is right now. She's been off screen for so long. She is. We've been at this for five minutes and we haven't brought up any of the students. <laughs> Oh my God, Listen. Emily, what the fuck? Okay, what is going on with her? <laughs> Emily, well, So, you know, but Nico, to your point, <laughs> when this first issue picked up, very much I was like, oh, we're really going to be dealing with this cho choice to go to the dark dimension. And then in the second issue, we switch over to entirely different storylines that were all very interesting, but this really feels like the last four issues of first semester that are yeah. just somehow now their own 
book. No, this it's is yeah, all going to get right. put it together in one in. graphic. It's it's an odd thing. Like I'm really happy we're tying up these stories, and I think we're doing a great job of it. The packaging to me is very odd. Calling mm-hmm. it finals and then not really having a structure yeah. that speaks to that in any way. It's just kind of like here are the plot threads that we left off with, and like we literally can't visit all of them in a single issue. So we're gonna just kind of play around with it. And again, it reads and, and reading this with Midnight Suns too. I'm like, wait, which story takes place first? Yep. I'm like, oh, these obviously don't take place at the same time. And then I'm like, um, Midnight Sun has to take place later because Ileana's got her new costume. So then like, okay, what's going on? It feels like they're in two separate universes, mm. even though the titles are running at the same time. And that's that creates a little bit of problem for me because A... Why would you target like a like a sophomore freshman? You know, like a uh, that and uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I'll get in, I'll get into that part later. But <laughs> ooh, yeah, all I gotta say is, what in the white woman is that? <laughs> and it I, feels like there's. Oh, sorry. Well, it no, feels like there's no, two no. speeds. Yeah. There's like there's the speed of Krakoa, which is like the speed of the monthly book, which is something's always happening and it's propelling motion forward. And that's what I feel like Immortal X Men is most of the mm-hmm. time yep. and then there's the omnibus book or the hardcover book which is a creature that exists to sell things in the long term but then you wind up where the books that exist like oh well we know it's going to finish we know it's going to come out we know it's going to end up filling out our page count those books don't really fit in with the books that are coming out around them this just reads like this was supposed to all already be out and they're calling it a mini series as a way to kind of buy themselves a little space what does that do for us from a storytelling perspective though i mean it really it does kind of jar the timeline up and make us wonder where these events land what these characters should be doing elsewhere right now it does just make you wonder why this wasn't just in the original run for this book it's because i think the break made us lose steam as readers you know i'm a lot less yeah Yeah. it's also like now i feel like because there is what feels like less time emily is moving at a speed that is different than the two types of like she now it's just very clear that she's in some way corrupted i imagine it's going to be by dormammu daddy who's going to just be trying to fuck around with doyle which is fine that's a totally plausible story for a book with strange in the title we can get there we can do that it's just we went from a i you know raven has always pointed out very problematic attitude but i think a reasonable view of what it is like to be taught by people that are maybe coming from a bit of a 90210 like um, entrusting your safety to those safety and education to those people is not the best she's also going about it in a weird way that was all kind of cool and we had great conversations about that in Strange Academy rooms but now we have just jumped right to something is clearly demonically wrong and we just need to get that sewn up however it's going to happen so that we can go have second semester and with such a huge gap between first semester and this I just I'm now like I'm not in so much as I am ready to be done. She went from Katniss to Karen <laughs> so fast. Like my head nearly snapped. I was like, but what are you? Clear the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. I didn't think Karen's were this powerful outside of a Dunkin' Donut. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, she did ask for the manager, basically. Also, the dark dimension is basically one giant Dunkin' Donuts. At the rest stop, yeah. Mm-hmm. She does have a coupon that expired two years ago now, and she's really mad that she can't use it. And that's what <laughs> right. the whole story is about. And, oh my god, and then Desi goes off the rails, too? Like, oh, that was what sad. the shit? Something's going on there. Yeah, yeah somebody I mean, better again, explain that, because, oh, I'm not having that. Mm-mm. You know, we're seeing some, some crazy shit with Sim lately, and I think one of the big complaints about Strange Academy was that it was odd that sim is an abuser of a level that we kind of can't ever forgive mm-hmm. and he's showing up to parents he's day. Such a cute dad. <laughs> yeah like <laughs> that's weird we, that's tough for that's tough for a reader you know and i think seeing desi in the mode that we're seeing her in this is kind of similar to emily in so far as like it is clear that something is wrong that is not a character flaw it is a like magical systems flaw mm-hmm. and kind of turning these concerns that we've had about these characters into like functional problems is the only way we can reel it back and put them back in a book and be like here they are as friends again it makes some sense it's sort of like some of it feels like a bit of a cop-out for me this feels like you know how like some new writers just like like throw everything into a book because they're like this might be my only chance to get published it's my first arc what if it gets canceled yeah and like like this isn't his first arc but this feels like he's like i gotta throw everything in what if it gets canceled i gotta set everything in this paper like oh my god yeah it, it like i love scotty yuck like strange academy oh my god but yeah this feels like they were trying to literally take all the storylines that might have like you know uh little threads hanging out and okay we gotta gotta stuff those back in and get all that tied together and it's like my dude we are looking at the back side of a tapestry right now and it's not pretty like calm down just slow it up. Trust me, you've got more issues. If we have to show up on on Marvel editors' doorsteps in order to get your book published, that is what will happen. Please don't don't rush it. Don't rush it. You have too much great story to do, and so much lovely, lovely, uh, you know, nuance to put into it. And that's what we love about these books. But yeah, this is just everything's in, and it jumps from one very very meaty story arc to another very deeply nuanced story arc and i will never fucking forgive voodoo for what he did to calvin because he put calvin in that situation i am so flaming pissed about that on so many levels like but they are so different but in the second issue, we do return to kind of a form that we're used to for Strange Academy. And we oh, get like, we get a great little, like, everybody's at the school doing mm-hmm. school things. And we get some of our, our friends back. And so everybody's participating in the cleanup and the cookout. And it's kind of, it's what we remember. And we also get a thing that we got in Strange Academy, which is the kids don't ever give up on each other. They will save each other when they know they can. And I, I you know, I was wondering how everybody felt about that return to form whether it's just this one issue and to see everybody you know with the exception of the few that are in the dark dimension doing things the way we used to see them done i was so quick i was constantly i like when i started reading the first issue i went back and read the last issue the last few pages like what did i miss like <clears throat> like such a tonal shift between the two issues that mm-hmm. it was very very jarring i mean they were i i liked the second issue better because it focused on what we loved about strange academy but it was just such a tonal shift from the first one that it was really jarring and hard to get back 
for me. This is very reminiscent of Riot at Xavier's way back in the Morrison run, but that I think mm. had much clearer stakes where if something goes wrong, there were a lot of humans there as well as reporters that can do a lot of damage to not only the people that were there, but also the reputation of the school that was under Gene's care. But here, yeah. it doesn't seem like their stakes are matching what they're trying to tell us because it's not like the teachers are trying to go after the students. The students left. They know where they are. They're not going after them. They said, if you want to leave, you leave. They, you can't really force students to, to stay in the school. And it feels like this coup, this we're going to rebel, I don't like the way you're treating us, doesn't – either the kids aren't being heard and that they're right that these teachers don't care – or the teachers are like, this just feels like regular rebellion, and it is what it is. We're not chasing after you. So I am getting a little bit of a tonal dissonance that we're going to pretend everything is fine and go back to classes like normal, but we have these kids who are clearly struggling, but we're not going to do anything about it. I really like the kind of old school New Mutants vibe that this book has been giving insofar as like, you can't really trust the instructors. They're, you know, they, they have some expertise, but they're all dealing with their own traumas and passing them down to um, a la like Magneto. They really do have to rely on each other for emotional support, for material support. And the energy of like their their day to day, their movement from like, like literally from like issue to issue, not in the comic sense, but in the like life sense, it's a really great teenage experience book it does feel like these stakes are high but when you pull the lens back you're like oh but are they or is this just like amped up by teenage hormones i really kind of like that that like that we're starting to see that like so so much of this is teen angst just put through the powers i'm loving it more it sucks that it took a while for these books to come out because i think this is where the storytelling there's the like there are a lot of threads and they are beginning to weave together at least the emotional threads for me i'm, I'm beginning to feel some like let's say crystallization because i'm not good at weaving things i feel like these stories are beginning to crystallize and i'm just kind of excited to see to see what happens i love doyle that really snuck up on me as a character that i've learned to love so it makes me feel like i'm reading an old school new mutants book with updated art i think scotty young is a great storyteller i think jake's absolutely right i love doyle so freaking much yeah like they have made him very much not his father without having to like really he's not his father it's like no he just he just proves look i'm not my dad i'm worried about being my dad i don't want to be my dad i'm gonna have to prove it through my actions mm -hmm. and like the fact that like zoe walks in she's like oh i fucked up i fucked up he's like i'm so glad you're back i'm like i love it i really do like take your time tell the story because i want to have all the emotions because mm -hmm. i love these kids so fucking much even emily and i gotta throw yeah. out he is clea's cousin and i feel like maybe we gotta get into that at some point but oh. Nico, let's hear you for last thoughts. I just want to see it turn out okay. Uh, that that first issue feels like a totally different book. The art even feels kind of harsh. And it's one of those things where it just goes from, I'm having kind of a bad, it's like Karima Shapendar and Moira. One day, they just woke up, had a bad day. They're going to fucking kill everybody. Everybody's going to fucking die. And I just want to be like, Emily, girl, stop. <laughs> Nathan, let's hear from you. All right, cool. Thank you. All right, cool. Um, I agree absolutely with what Nico said. It's just, it's very... Like, Emily was so, like, on a path, on a slow path, until, bam, that issue, and then she just went, like, she's like, I'm a thousand years old, she's like, Moira McTaggart, like, I'm several thousand years old, but now I just suddenly fucking hate all the mutants, and I, two years ago, was trying to create this, like, what? Yeah, it's very wonky, 
but I do like the the save in the second issue uh, returned it back to the form I wanted it to. I know the first issue probably just had to set it up to do what Scotty Young wanted a whole arc to do, but he probably had to do it in an issue, and I just can't wait to see what comes from it. Jonah, I think Doyle would do Raid in Descendants. I'm not my dad. Let me do this, <laughs> out and do this song. That's that's what Doyle. That's how I imagine Doyle's gonna do great in that in that universe. Doyle for the first ever Marvel decom. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I think the first issue is it's our theoretical Chekhov's gun that we're gonna just put in the drawer. I'm gonna say we're gonna fire this later, but there's some other things we're gonna take care of first, and that's fine. And I think when all the other issues come out in retrospect, it might read a little bit better when we have everything going on. But when you look at it as a standalone, it is a little bit, in my opinion, weaker than the second issue, which feels like okay, I think this is what we kind of everybody kind of fell in love with was we're following these kids who are mystical and magical and we're kind of going through their day and we're kind of seeing how they're dealing with these challenges like you said jake it kind of is a new mutants book and it's why i think it is so well received at least especially by our team but i I love angst but i just want to tell emily it's everything's gonna be okay put on some eyeliner um listen to some my chemical romance girl it down i'm like you can girl boss you can guess like emo girl but like let's like let's think of a plan and maybe maybe banging all these pots and pans isn't the way to get one but you also you can't tell a child that because they don't know that yet yeah i think you know i'm just really hoping that this is a beginning for these stories of strange academy and mm-hmm. not a an end i love a school book i've really been missing an Krakoa. i say that every time we talk about strange academy i honestly wouldn't hate another avengers academy i there are so many kids out there i want to see them <laughs> i know raven i know so many faces just fell yeah i'm just the saying i like school books falling i think it's such a good like mode for marvel i i would be happy to see more of it secret but... same <laughs> in the meantime i just want to see these kids back in school together on a good note and you know maybe like we'll see them in stuff like midnight suns which we're about to talk about We're here to talk about Midnight Suns 1 through 3, and I have a a kind of, I have what I feel like is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but I legitimately mean it really positively and really warmly, but for me, the key thing about this series is it feels like an unnecessary miniseries. It does! (laughs) feels silly and kind of pointless and for that reason i love it for that reason it it is worth its money it does exactly what it sets out to do if you tell me i'm paying four dollars for dumb fun cool if you tell me i'm paying four dollars for brilliance and i get dumb fun fuck you this could be dumb fun brilliant and i would love to get your guys vibe i know the you know the four of us talked about the first few issues and you know now we're sitting here again looking at one through three uh, a little bit further in how are you guys feeling about the nature of midnight sun sitting three issues in uh it really feels like it has been obviously developed to obviously promote the game which most of those characters are going to appear in and surprisingly enough it feels like it is designed to mc unify agatha harkness okay i didn't see that one coming but i need it and like i'm like okay cool if you're gonna tell me agatha harkness is gonna go around looking like Catherine Hahn all the time give it to me yeah that was I started asking about that, like kind of right around the time I joined the show, I think, because you knew it was going to happen. You know, I can see why 
Wong in the books is not Wong from the MCU. But at this point, I don't think you can super sell me on it's important that we have <laughs> comics Agatha Harkness when Catherine Hahn is MCU Agatha Harkness. Like, we always right? knew we were getting to this place. Um, like, I, my question is, can comic uh, Agatha Harkness crack wise in the ways that Catherine Hahn can? I believe it under the right writer. That might not be this book, but it could be the next one. Yeah, I'm I, waiting for Agatha to make me sing Agatha all along in the books. So. Oh, you know we're getting like some little drop from that or something. Yeah. There's just no way. But I, yeah, I mean, I have asked the question two different times. Like, are the writers that we're discussing today leading into or like laying groundwork for big stories for themselves uh whether that's you know they've been told to or they just want to leave them some themselves something to work with should they keep getting work from marvel i do not feel that way about this book i feel like this book is just trying to do this yep. book and have fun and yep. i don't know that we are entering the years in which there will always be a midnight suns team and they will be the avengers of magic i think we might just kind of be fucking around with some funny characters that i'm obsessed with most especially of course kushala the avengers of magic in parentheses and wolverine <laughs> not even the good wolverine <laughs> no not even laura nope it's just logan uh, it was logan all along uh, i'm <laughs> waiting for the beautiful line agatha in the comic i don't care about you enough to lie to you <laughs> i'm waiting that now that now that we're seeing here what i think kind of works so well about this title is that this does i think it's doing a decent a pretty good job of promoting the game without and pretending that the stakes are really high we have this world ending threat and we also have this character of zoe this young girl who's at the epicenter of it and kind of the linchpin to this entire story but this story is so dumb it is so silly that we're yeah. like oh this is a joke I mean, it's all gonna be a big old prank you know the camera's gonna come rolling out and go like this camera there this camera there there's a camera there you've all been pranked yeah. that's what i'm just waiting for and i think that's pretty fun i also think this book was meant to secretly like inadvertently make me ship iliana and nico even though i love oh nico my god yes. Lord. Oh, Lord. oh my god that scene i was like oh are they going to hook up? Are we going to get confirmation of bisexual Ileana for reals? For reals? Is, is Nico currently still with Carolina? They're, I mean, I no, but she's gay enough. <laughs> last time I read they were together. At least we know Nico has a type. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, when you're a Nico, your type is everyone. And Ileana has a type. She's like, I like girls who are kind of gay. <laughs> You need to I be kind of gay and have a pulse, okay? Good, good. Let's go. Kind of gay has a pulse and can also kick my ass. Mm -hmm. That's Inherited a magical object. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she better watch out. She's going to give her the soul sword. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that what we're called now? Oh, my God. And the staff of one? Really? <laughs> really? Big old hole at the top or giant plug version? Whatever you need. I should not have done that motion, but... Um, no. It's like a reverse plumber toilet thing. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just gay plungers all the way up. And turning butter. <laughs> Speaking of butter. No, 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 no. I, I, I can't even ask if y'all have ever touched one. Like, what the fuck? I'm going to say, speaking of, you guys have ever touched Wait, butter? What? I've touched butter. <laughs> I one have what? touched butter before. A butter churn? Like, a butter churn. Go, like, 
I did it once in like elementary school. <laughs> yeah, or, I've been um, to one yeah. of those old recreation villages where they let you, you know, on a field trip and you go churn butter. Yeah. I'm bad at it. I did not yeah. stay at the village. I came here no. and started getting on camera with you people because that's way more fun than churning butter. Because you could have churned the butter. Exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. Hold on. Let's go back to butter for a second. I wanna, I wanna stress that the the butter goodness of Ileana's new costume, and then I want to be like, and they were like, all right, but what if Ileana had this cute new costume, and we put her in it for this issue, and then we said, fuck your new costume. Oh my How God. do you feel about going into an old X Force look? And she was like, horny hey. for it. This, How do you guys this, feel? This this book like. <sighs> Like, I want to like it. At the same point in time, you actually watch Wolverine become self-aware in real time. <laughs> and, like, look, like, he actually seems to almost break fourth wall and go, why the fuck am I here again? <laughs> what am I doing here? I can't, I can't slash anything. This is all magic. My claws are going right. They're useless. Like, Blade is, like, the second most useless because, again, can't literally punch it. Actually, so. hold We've discovered that when Blade needs to... Blade can turn into a giant cloud of gas and has super strength and can carry things. He did it in Heroes Reborn. He turns into he a did. giant cloud oh, of God. gas, and he picks up Captain America, and they fly through the day. Hey, hey, it's not gas. It's mist. He has it's mist. qualities. It's mist. It's mist. So we're talking about a book that's literally designed to sell comics, but one of the things that's so fun is that we're laughing about it, and that I, I really enjoy this conversation, because we're not meant to think this book is Watchmen. I mean, if you ask Ellen Moore, you're not supposed to think Watchmen is Watchmen. <laughs> But don't read it. Don't look at me. Don't read, it. Don't read my book. I don't want your monies. Um, so he just wants his beard. And I think the thing about this book that makes me happy laugh the most is it's it really is just a good time. And like I feel like we don't have enough good times in the Marvel Universe. Kushala flying on a flaming skull. The just bat, fun. The bat dragon. The bat oh, dragon yeah. flaming what? thing. It was incredible. When she told Ileana, she's like, just call me Kala. This is what I want. This is, exactly. And there are so many women featured in this book. They are women who tend to be underlooked, kind of with the exception of Nico, except for the Runaways as a whole are underlooked. And so- Ileana. uh, Ileana being somebody who, like, we keep saying, why doesn't she have her own book? Or why isn't she, like, really anchoring a book, not just featured in a book the way cool X-Men characters get featured in a book? What a great place for her. Nico and I have been shouting about how Kushala should be in a book. What a great place for her. And these people are all getting really solid screen time. And it doesn't feel like it feels like Wolverine is there, like basically to trick people who are like, I buy anything I see Wolverine in. Even he confused. Yeah. yeah. I love that. You don't get it. So like the whole point is like some some dude who's like, I don't read books with girls in them. Oh, look, Wolverine. And then you discover that this is just fun. Um, I always think Wolverine can fight Doc. Doctor Doom. That's the cover I need. Wolverine versus Doctor Doom. Because you can always beat Doctor Doom with a set of knives. Oh my god. Doctor Doom is such a wuss. He gets hit once. He literally, the moment he get hit once, he's like, well, uh, fine. I don't need to be here. I'm going (laughs) home. I'm like, you little bitch. My ex-wife's not here, so I'm leaving. (laughs) Right? You hit me in the Zed Putty Z, so I'm done. (laughs) But so Jonah, you must have a terrible idea of who Doctor Doom is at this point, because like <laughs> you only ever read Doctor Doom come into a book and be like, "Well, in what in the name of Eastern Europe are you people doing? This is my cape, 
and then just like leaves. I can't imagine you have any sense of who Doctor Doom fucking is. So I'm gonna go. The what I've read most of Doctor Doom, he acts very much like Wando. He comes into a problem that he was not involved in. Does not has he has no business being there. Shows up, makes a mess, complains, and then just leaves by making things worse. <laughs> so yeah, maybe at this point I do understand why they were married at some point. <laughs> I yep, mean, you nailed it. Um, that's it's like reverse tuxedo like, mask. Yeah, and I that's like not e- that is actually the correct idea of Doctor. That's not the one they want you to have, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's the correct one. So you have been paying attention. And Marvel, if you want us to get a different idea of Victor, stop writing this exact story with him in it five hundred times. Doctor Doom is a big pouty baby who sometimes has some Grandmaster plans, but oftentimes is like, "Fuck it, this is too hard. I'm going away. Bye." But then also has the nicest soft spot for both Franklin and Valeria. True. Well, he loves Valeria. I feel like that's he does her not uncle Vic. Soft spot for no, yeah, he's very. I tolerate your brother, but I love you. You're the so very, smart. I love you. The very fact that I think it was Kushala or Magic tell him to go back to his castle and wait for the next time for the Fantastic Four to whoop his ass. <laughs> died laughing so hard. So now I have, I have a serious question about this book, though. Serious, 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 serious. One of the things that we've seen happen in Marvel Comics is when you don't want it or when you don't expect it is when it catches. But when you assume it's going to be a clunk is when it's huge. You know what I mean? Like Miles Morales has introduced an ultimate fallout number four. I don't know that everybody knew he was going to become the definition of a Spider-Man. You know, they knew he'd be popular, but I think they just thought he was slotting in another character. We've seen it time and time again. They thought Krakoa was going to last a year and a half, you know? But this series actually, in a lot of ways, has the makings of Marvel versus Capcom and Infinity Saga, where everybody always says to me, oh, I remember back when Shumagorath fought the <gasps> fought the X-Men, and I'm like, it didn't happen. You're thinking of the time your buddy chose Shumagorath, and you chose Wolverine, and he used a combo on you, and it really left a lasting impression. Because, yeah, they didn't fucking fight. That wasn't a thing. But I think this miniseries and game is coming out at right the, you know, right the TikTok now in a way that's going to ultimately imprint on a generation of people. And I would love to know, what do you guys hope that this book rots for the future? For me, it's I hope people think when they think like Blade and Wolverine and a Ghost Rider, I hope they think Kushala and Nico and Zoe and Ileana. I think that would be really cool how about you guys like i want people to get to know these characters because i think these are desperately underutilized characters in a lot of ways save for wolverine okay he's everywhere Uh. it's weirdly like the fact that magic literally just give me a second i'll be right but pops over and grabs his dumb ass and brings it back and he's like i i don't know why i'm here but okay like i i want people to get to know these characters because they are interesting but at the same point in time, like some of these characters, uh, I think they would have been utilized better in a few years instead of right now. Because right now it's a, it's a really weird kind of unbalanced situation, like especially Zoe. Like because they took Zoe from being, hey, I'm a I'm a school kid and I'm getting to know my powers and getting all to holy fuck. You want to talk about laying down some fucking magic powers right there? Holy shit. 
shit. Like, oh, oh, okay. You you apparently have a lot of potential, but it's like, it's, it's kind of all over the place. And I think she would have been used better in a couple years when we actually had a better scale for, for like what her powers are actually supposed to be versus, you know, just kind of here's what could happen. It's like, give me a little bit more because I need more development for that character specifically because she's so young. I have to agree with you, Raven. I think as much as I enjoy her appearance here, Zoe feels out of place because it, it feels the scale of what they're trying to make her in this book doesn't match a lot of previous characterization, and that's fine, but I don't think we're going to get this characterization, this power level over in Strange Academy finals or any here two comics after. It's going to feel a little off to see her so powerful here, and then comparatively not as powerful over in the title that we're most know her from. I also think this title utilizes characters, as we keep saying, underutilized well, who are standouts in different things they appear in, that I am really happy that they get to be here, but I do think we're a little bit of a fault is we're clashing where I love it, but maybe someone else isn't as happy. We talk about how we're using Wolverine to sell this book, but if you look at all three covers, Ileana is forefront and center in most of these, and she's very visible and clear. And so she's another character I think they like to really utilize to sell things, but I really would love to see a really good take on her. And I think this title would have been really great because she doesn't have a lot of competition for characters that need that often hog the spotlight i think she often takes the spotlight in ways i think there are other ways that i think she takes the spotlight other than like a really great character moments and i think this title could have been a really great use of like for all these characters but iliana specifically because she is so utilized in promotion that i think she kind of deserves like a really good just story on her own or and with why her, why know. isn't why isn't she wearing her new outfit she's like half wearing it because she's wearing no it. not on the cover on the cover that is that is her old oh. outfit I think that's part of the solicit thing, too. They solicit those so far ahead of, band, ahead of time that they had to solicit it before the new outfit was revealed. So and the, the new cover outfit yeah. was revealed yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah, like they so this was probably... Been. This was probably written and drawn to be in time with the original launch of the game, like mm. eight or nine months ago. So this has probably oh. been in a drawer for like a year. Okay. So they, they went enough. and they changed the art on the in-story cover costume, but not on right. the game. But I mean, like, I'm sorry, there could have there could have been an edit. Like it's been a couple months and since pay that somebody happened. for it. There there could have been an edit. Marvel, yeah. you're making more than enough to pay somebody to go in and just even even gently overlay or gently alter the color of what she's wearing. That would have that would have honestly sufficed to me if they had changed the color because she is now very boldly the gold with the black accent so like give give me a little make it look like you've put in the effort to make sure that your covers are actually starting to match with your content if not it it starts reading like 1940s comic book covers we're gonna give you you know oh well what if aquaman was killed by superman in the desert and then you go in and the story has nothing to do with whatever that front cover was. There's one panel of Aquaman, like, really thirsty and Superman punching something unrelated. What? Yeah. Like, oh, they do the reality TV thing where they like they cut around it exactly one thing, but then you actually see it play out. And you're like, none of this happened the way you promoted this. Yeah. It says you hear the person say it's over, and then you watch the episode, and it's the person saying, "I'm not saying it's over." And 
Montree Hill, as producer Kevo just shouted in. All right, Nathan, TK, final thoughts, and then we're hitting I, I, that commercial. I'm going to say, like, to me, this is it's a pretty fun story. There's one character that I think is, like, way missing, especially because she's going to be in the game. And since Agatha Harkness has a, a huge tie into this book, and, you know, she teaches at the fucking Strange Academy, it's, I, I think Wanda Maximoff needed to be featured in this book. I, I, I get maybe the writer didn't think they could find a way to not have her overshadow the book itself, but considering her role with Agatha and Agatha's role in this and her role in the Strange Academy and her role in the game, she should have been. That's my that's my only complaint, and if that's my only complaint, that's amazing. I think this book and this time is a real interesting hub for what Marvel needs to do as a company with Synergy, and some of that is, uh, you know, cynical, and you know, the fact of the matter is Ilyana on those covers is very cheesecakey, and there is a certain class of horny individual that might be picking that up clearly based on you know how she is drawn uh which it may be one of the reasons that it was not changed and that's that you know that's cynical in that way of like i hate it but there are other things about this like you know de-aging Agatha Harkness that are kind of cynical in a way that I love it because we're not really getting anything out of old Agatha Harkness and we can get a ton of mileage out of young Agatha Harkness. We've got a game. We've got the MCU. I actually think it is possible that we will see Wanda, but if we don't, she's had a lot of MCU time and she gets a lot of book time. So maybe the thought was like, we don't need to overcrowd. This is just something very interesting for us to pay attention to because we are not, most of us, I think, really that age where we're going to be like, boy, do I remember but there are kids out there that this is going to be their Marvel versus Capcom where reading the books for the first time, playing the game, getting into the MCU, it's all coming together at once and I'm just kind of paying attention to how that plays out for all of this stuff and you know I'm really really excited to play the game we're going to be playing some of it live on our channel so look out for that and you know this is just a really fun time and I can't wait for more. I am so excited to talk about Ghost Rider because, so TK and I have been doing this for the last six months. This is the weirdest little book. It is the strangest little Marvel horror story you've ever read. And it's just so wacky. And TK and I have been talking about this book forever. I am just so fucking amused. So I think what's going on here is I think, Nathan, you're our like designated listener and you're going to do your best to follow along. TK and I have been reading this since number one. So we've read all nine issues because there was a one shot in between a two part arc that didn't make any sense there. That's, of course, the arc where Wolverine goes to hell alongside Boom Boom, Dr. Doom, Doc Ock, Blade, and a bunch of other people so they can have a motorcycle race. What? It's a motorcycle race in hell for the power of riding a motorcycle in hell. That's all that's at stake. Why have I not seen x talking about this? That sounds crazy. Oh. Boom, boom, and hell oh. on a motorcycle And race. Multiple Man <laughs> in his 90s costume. What? On, in, in the trench coat. And only Wolverine really knows Johnny Blaze. It's the dumbest thing. I, I mean, it's very good, but like, it's, it is very good. And I was very positive about it, but it is sort of like the dumbest thing that like, there's no one else in the Marvel universe that you could use but Wolverine. Anyway, now, Jonah, I believe you've read like an arc of this. 
two arcs. Yeah, and uh, so I would love to get everybody to weigh in, starting with Jonah. Um, so I read about two arcs. I read from issues five through eight. What I found about this was that I don't know if it was intentional, but these felt so reminiscent as a love letter to sci-fi horror because there were references to Alien. There were references to Terminator. There were references to what I would imagine would be like the fly. It was like a lot of body horror, a lot of we're going to put Johnny Blaze through a lot of hell, literally and metaphorically. And we're also going to get some sci-fi disgustingness in there which i really kind of appreciated and i was like oh i actually kind of like this that this is really nice the only thing that did confuse me is they were like yeah ghost rider you're the king of hell and i was like he's not damien's father that's not damien hellstrom's father and he's not even king of hell anymore (laughs) he was king of hell at one point which is a whole avengers thing that we don't need to get into but yeah there's also that like the classic king of hell that we prefer to think of 100 not him wait 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 he's not king of hell anymore after damnation Wait, what, 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 what? And, and like no. in the Avengers, he was King Al. What did I miss? He's he's just not anymore. He he gives oh. it up at the end. What? Yeah. I, um, I that <laughs> that arc is not well written. Like we were not super positive on it because yeah, it doesn't really get us to the conclusion. Like it doesn't make that conclusion clear. But he did kind of. <laughs> this is very helpful. Oh my god! I boom, need yeah, to read that issue where Boom Boom, boom, boom at the hell. race. What the um, hell? Boom Boom in hell. Oh my god! You know, um, Jonah, I want to uh, echo what you said insofar as like more more shots from the race. Oh my god! I, it is- 90s x-factor oh i have had some real uh question marks about percy's contribution to f canon which have been many some of them i think are really phenomenal some of them sort of go to places that i wish they wouldn't go not in like a challenging way but in maybe like maybe it kind of it's it doesn't feel right way he is a phenomenal horror writer and you're right those references are all there because he's a horror novelist he's a horror fan and he knows how to pull that stuff and reference it in really savvy ways for horror stories. You see that in this fiction and you see that in his Ghost Rider. And one of the things that has been really weird about doing this coverage is it'll be, you know, a week where we go into an X-Factor and Wolverine room where I'm so negative because I just am uncomfortable with where we are. And then we get into Ghost Rider and I think like, this is one of the most important writers in the Marvel Universe, but for this genre. Okay, I love that because that's been my hesitation for reading Ghost Rider. Yeah, I can understand why. Is, I, I, I love some of what he does. Like, I, I'm probably one of the few who really loved him doing the Wolverine Vampire arc because I really loved how he dived, dived into the horror of it. And I know everybody was like, oh, Wolverine and vampires. Ugh. But like the whole X-Force, like with where him, like Hank McCoy, like, I'm not totally digging that vibe. So like, okay, thank you. That is good to know. Especially because we covered Midnight Suns. How do the different Ghost Rider work? Are they all the same spirit of vengeance? Because I know- Nope, they're all- they're all actually different spirits of vengeance that's a great question and there's spirits of vengeance and then there's ghost riders proper and there's uh zarathos is ghost rider proper as his spirit of vengeance that's but then there's that's johnny's right yeah. but now it turns Wait, out that... was telling me danny catch has a different one too yes Danny you know? catch has a different spirit he once had zarathos and um... now robbie is the all rider which is a different ability set altogether, okay. and robbie and... is the all writer 
Kushala as her own thing because her she's thing. not only a spirit of vengeance but also a sorcerer supreme and she kind of shifts and moves through time so yeah it's a whole okay. its own thing okay and, what about the Aaron ghost riders are those Zorathos or is like is Zorathos the protector of earth force or okay well now we have to now oh, we have to do this we'll have a ghost rider special <laughs> yeah we're, we'll we're just have to have a ghost rider special bit. because I think one other thing that's really important to point out that it has not contributed to any of this now but I think will and she over in the pages of Legion of X yes, is yes, the spirit yes. of variation, which is literally like not literally, it is essentially mutant ghost rider. And that right. like this idea of spirits oh. of thing is becoming an important like build up from multiple spirits of vengeance. Because <laughs> there are other ghost riders too, like Michael Badalino has a different spirit of vengeance. So I think we are at a place where if they wanted to, they could really expand this canon. And mm-hmm. I am actually like to take it back to where we are, I'm excited that that's not what this book. I'm excited Mm -hmm. that this is a small story for Johnny Blaze, who kind of sucked conceptually, and we kind Mm -hmm. of could really stand to lose. But if somebody in, you know, editorial says, like, we're not going to lose him for whatever reason, here's a great dude to write that dude and to, for instance, not write Kushala, who, again, give it to a Native woman. There are so many amazing ones that are associated with Marvel. Give us a Kushala book like this, please, but give us a writer that can write from her perspective the way that I think really Ben Percy is a great person for Johnny Blaze's perspective. You know, I'd love Rebecca Roanor's after yes. the Echo series to do that. And speaking of women whose perspective is amazing, Raven, what is your relationship with this ghost riding? Were you all about ghost riding this whip, or were you like, I can't with this hoopty? <laughs> I just thought if I played dead for a minute, you'd go away. <laughs> <laughs> she possumed it. <laughs> So here's the hilarious thing. I started reading comic books roughly 30 years ago. Johnny Blaze was my ghostwriter growing up. So like when I came back into comic books after taking a bit of time off, I'm just like, who the shit are all these new people? Like why? Just, I mean, okay, they're good. They're fine. They're, they're, they're definitely their own thing, but I'm just like, but where's Johnny? Like, like I I was waiting for Johnny. So like to see Johnny come back, I'm like, wow, you, you really paid attention really got his kind of flavor and the way he does things because he was always a deeply flawed character so fucking deeply flawed in how he used his powers or how he could use his powers like they were not just on tap you know easy to access it had to be the blood of the innocent was spilled and some horrible thing was going down and he's she's like hey hey i need you to do the do your thing do the poof do the magic hello flame and he's like um it doesn't work like that uh, there needs to be motivation here. And she's like, for fuck's sake, okay, let's find you some motivation. It's like, horniness, the best yeah. motivation. Grabs your rage. <laughs> See, I was oh like all God. about like when I started reading, it was Danny Catch. So I was like, who's Johnny? And then I smiled in my special way. Did you just say that I smiled in my special way? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did, Nico. <laughs> yep. You just did a Who's Johnny reference. I'm actually paralyzed. My hands don't work anymore. <laughs> well, I was imagining Johnny Blaze breaking down a door an axe and his motorcycle <laughs> saying, here's Johnny. Which, oh my god by the end of this book like knowing how ben percy likes his pulls that's not an unreasonable expectation we could Same definitely get there <laughs> so here's my here's my question talia warroad she is for me one of the most vertigoian things to ever be at marvel 
Yeah. She is a hard ass who could give John Constantine a run for his money. She's everything I'm looking for from a book like this. But what kills me is I think she would be just as great a lead as any ghostwriter would. A woman whose journey is parallel and alongside witnessing so much of this Marvel magic, being magic in her own way and what she brings to the title. I almost regret that she's in this where she's overshadowed by Johnny and the ghostwriter kind of mythos. How do you guys feel about him essentially sharing this lead with a woman who is in many ways more masculine and kind of aggressive than he is? I don't even think I have I have a lot of thoughts if you guys don't mind me going on one of my I don't know why I haven't seen her more like she honestly straight up deserves her own title she seems far more competent far more driven like she knows what she needs to do she knows what she wants to or the path that she wants to take to do it and she just needs to get there and like she's she's willing to risk some pretty serious shit she knows that she's fucking with a spirit of vengeance she knows that she's fucking with a ghost writer here and that that could go horrifyingly wrong and she's still like no we gotta get this shit done there's no pussyfoot and let's do this so the fact that he's like oh but i don't know but um i can't just i can't just bring it out you know i'm not always angry like and she's like yeah okay we no no we're not doing this noise we're doing that i'm like she is so gorgeous and wonderful and like she knows what the fuck she is she knows what the fuck she's doing I don't think they're sharing the title I think the title should have gone to her like Johnny seems a little bit at least right now Johnny seems a bit more tagging along or being brought along versus actually leading the book like and, and I yes. love her I, I'm really really loving her so and that's I think both a mix of intentional in a good way and kind mm -hmm. of also unintentional in a good way this book has just been happening to Johnny and mm -hmm. I think that has been the point of Johnny for a while as Ghost Rider like when Nico started making me do all this Ghost Rider reading it really was when we, we were doing a lot of Kushala stuff and when Kushala and Johnny are together stuff is just happening to Johnny Kushala is always like I'm in control of both our Ghost Rider shit and magic shit I, I'll help you whatever Talia kind of ends up serving a, a similar role in this story and the reason by, by the way why you haven't seen her more is because she's literally just from this she is a, a Percy original so this could be her jumping off point. And you know, it's funny, every book that we've talked about here that has featured some really incredible magical woman, women, she could be on any of those teams in any of those oh, stories. You know, she showed up talking to Clea and Strange and Wong about magic stuff. Yes, if she were a Midnight Sun, absolutely. And, and she was I smacking really the shit out of Nika Minoru so she wasn't just such an emo little bitch sitting on the sidelines whining about her fucking wand that she jettisoned into fucking space. I do think she is overshadowing him in a way that is partially intentional. She really does have a lot. Her character is supposed to have more agency than, you know, Johnny has been given because we're just, Johnny's never going to be a leading man. At this point, we know that. Robbie, as a ghostwriter, really could be. Johnny can't be. So in his book, he kind of does have to just be the victim of the horrors. And people like this are the ones that sort of have a better grasp on it. And hopefully from there, they can go on to bigger things. What, you know, back to that cynicism of 
editorial and comic publishing, a lot of times there's just that feeling of like, well, there has to be a guy there. It's got to be Ghost Rider. It can't be Talia Warroad, Agent of Wand. But I feel like we're watching those things break down more and more. And I we can have that Talia book. And I think she is really a character that we could see other places. Wait, she's an Agent of Wand? I, I made it up. That would be fantastic. <laughs> so I was like, wait, what? Jonah, how do you feel about Talia? I'm, I'm wondering, are, is she your new personal stand-in? Are you are you just going to start being Jonah Warroad? Um, maybe. I'm not sure. I think so. Potentially. Who knows at this point? I know Johnny doesn't. But what I do know <laughs> is that Talia is a very fascinating character to be introduced. Uh, one of the things I would love to talk about is her character design. She has very interesting character design choices that I don't think you see many in a lot of visual media where you'll see characters pop up by many different artists. Um, one of the things I noticed is that she has a lot of tattoos and there are very few comic uh, please correct me if I'm wrong but there are very few comic characters who have tattoos part of that being you have to draw that consistently every time that character shows up and the only one who I can really think of is because his tattoo is a little bit more simplistic that you can the way it's drawn is um, Akihiro slash Fang the only one that I can think of so her seeing hey, her Oh, and Kate Pride, but the <laughs> knuckle tattoo. And, and, and Bishop, which, I mean, even there, they don't always the draw his tattoo. That M even is... Even prominently on his face. It's a fucking phantom M. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's taking a vacation, you know. I like for a while had the whole, like, Crimson Dawn thing, and then it, like, came and went. They did a whole Phoenix tattoo for Rachel for a while. For how so you're right, Jonah. Every time someone has a tattoo, they get rid of it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. You are. Yeah. There's a lot of tattoos and probably a very painful, expensive surgery to get rid of all the tattoos that she currently has. But her, I think her character design does wonders in explaining kind of who she is, especially for somebody who is a character who's completely original to the story and being introduced. I think her design speaks wonders of the uh, artistic ability of the art team to create this character, this woman, who's very strong, very powerful, very domineering, very dominant, and very much like a no-shit kind of person. And I think her character design really speaks well to that kind of characterization. And it's a very big follow through that Ben Percy gives her in the writing. So I think I'm really appreciative that we have this strong female character that's kind of bouncing off of Johnny. What, what I uh, I find so fascinating about this is that what we're talking about is this might be called Ghost Rider and Johnny is the uh, protagonist, but it's not his story. It's Talia's story. Johnny's just kind of there and the vehicle, so to speak, insert pun, that he to allow us to go through Talia's story of what she's currently trying to help the FBI with, right? She's currently acting as an agent for the FBI? Yeah, FBI. So I think that is such so interesting because I don't know if I will be honest, I don't know for me, Johnny is the most interesting ghostwriter. So seeing him take a more passive role, a la the way that I saw a lot of people wrote women in comics years ago, but still be able to hold his own and still have this strong female character basically lead his own story, I think it's really fascinating. I actually think it works wonders for this title. And I love that. And I can't wait to see the future of this book. I have been so excited covering it with TK and now to bring in more people that, you know, Nathan, it has you at least interested in seeing what's happened that Jonah, you gave four issues a try. I'm just so excited to see more people give other forms of Marvel a chance. Not that, you know, anybody 
anybody here is closed-minded, but just that you got to be convinced to try a book sometimes. And it's so exciting that everybody did. And I would love to get everybody's final thoughts as we wrap up our second live episode of Exodus for Podcast. Yeah, I mean, this has been such an amazing journey um, into the darker side of magic. You know, magic at Marvel, I really see it more as horror and fantasy, and fantasy is killing it right now. We really talked about some great fantasy stuff. I think we are seeing all the ways in which horror can absolutely be at the same level as magic stories. And I think Percy is a fantastic writer for that. I know there are others. We have like really scraped the surface of a few. Werewolf at Night is in the mix. There's a, there's some great options, but we are not there at the same level. And Ghost Rider is one of those titles that gives me a lot of hope. We didn't get to talk about it, but at some point I'm going to need an explanation for why Lord Zed is a truck and says he, Johnny Blaze is him. I guess we'll learn as time goes on, but Wait, man, the body that? horror is, is so correct and you know horrifying truck monster muscle person and like johnny vomiting chains there's just some dynamite imagery in here and i can't wait for more of it all right so everything you have described i i'm gonna have to pick up some of the series because holy shit like that is fucking fantastic and and you know what i have to say ben percy i've loved his forays into horror more than i've loved a lot of his other stuff so like whenever x-force or wolverine is streamed more into horror that is always something i've loved johnny cage is a character that like i just recently like started getting more interested in because steve made me watch the nick cage movies which are actually amazing they are so stupid good i they are dumb good so everybody's everybody's like those movies are so bad they are so good they're a national treasure yeah but like so i'm gonna give this a try especially i gotta i gotta see boom boom in hell like that's amazing jojo boom boom in hell do it yes boom boom was there also man thing um bullseye riding a motorcycle i love man thing oh it was rhino on a rhino motorcycle wasn't it like an actual rhino that would have been very funny <laughs> it was just a very like there was a weird like in that specific comic uh, issue there was a very weird amount of comedy of who these characters why exactly they're there some more deserving than others i guess who knows everybody deserves a chance in hell that's my take pleasantly surprised with the, at least the four issues i read as a interesting love letter to sci-fi horror and how do you bring that to marvel in a way where the titular character of ghost rider doesn't really have to be the main character of this story i love marvel i love the way they are are trying to lean into some more of the the magic and horror side of things and this is controversial i don't think they're leaning into it hard enough they're going right along the edge but they're keeping it so pg-13 and i'm like the impact that you could make if you would just go ahead and admit this is this is not for kids this is just this is an adult's book and really just leaned into that i think you'd make amazing strides forward with what you actually want to do because you can tell that they want to tell this visceral dark gritty story but they're still keeping it like pg-13 and then like a lot of this body horror shit a lot of this like you know these animals that are just stripped of all you know fur and just all you see is muscle and bone and sinew like lean into it admit that it's an adult's book lean into 
it and just take it to the nth level because it would be fucking phenomenal. I agree. I've loved covering this book. I hope you guys want to come back for some more Ghostwriter in the future. And I love this new format. I cannot get enough of it. Getting to talk with you guys, see your faces, getting to talk with you. This is the best. (laughs) I can't wait to do this every week. I know we've got weeks with Avengers. We've got weeks with Unlimited. We got all sorts of books coming your way. And from everybody here at the X-Pack, and you can check us out at xisforpodcast.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for two plus hours, checking out the cut down available during the week. And uh, yeah, until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakone gateways open. Remember, X is for Podcast is live Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard, and we'll see ya. 